I think it says something about the Jewish approach to love and sexuality that one of the books of the Old Testament, one which Rabbi Akiva in the second century referred to as the holiest of the holy, was an erotic love poem known as the Song of Songs. I was asleep, but my heart stayed awake. Listen, my lover knocking. Open, my sister, my friend, my dove, my perfect one. My hair is wet, drenched with the dew of night. But I've taken off my clothes, how can I dress again? I've bathed my feet, must I dirty them? My love reached in for the latch and my heart beat wild. I rose to open to my love, my fingers wet with myrrh, sweet flowing myrrh on the door bolt. What is love, anyway? Howard Jones didn't know in 1984 when he made his Humans Lib album, and Jews have also pondered the same question as far back as Jacob and Rachel. I myself recently got engaged, so you could say love is on my mind. My fiancé and I met in October of 2014 when I went to London to visit a friend of mine who said I could stay in his apartment. The only thing was, he wasn't staying there. She was. I should point out that the apartment is a two-bedroom. Prior to my arrival, my friend had asked my unbeknownst future fiancé if I could stay in the apartment. I later found out that she had quickly Googled me and decided that, despite my history of pretending to play guitar in front of thousands of people, it was fine for me to stay. He was delivered to the door, is how she tells the story. This is my personal example of just how crazy and random love can be. How and why do we end up with our partners? As we'll hear in this episode, maybe there's a grand plan that's been written 40 days before we were all born. Maybe soulmates are predestined or beshert. Maybe it's about the names of the couples being compatible. Or maybe love is just totally random. So... This Valentine's Day-themed episode of The Kibitz is all about love. What is it, anyway? This episode includes an excerpt from the truly excellent podcast, Israel Story, hosted by Mishy Harmon. Another installment of Kasher vs. Kasher, more jokes from my 95-year-old Nana, and a special guest treat, Jeff Goldblum. Yes, The Fly is going to play some Valentine's Day jazz to get you in the mood for love. We've also got Larry Smith, the creator of the six-word memoir book series, comedian Ronald Glickman, and writer Joel Stein to tell his bar mitzvah story for A Kid Walks Into a Bar. So now, get ready to fall in love with the kibitz. Mishy Harmon is the host of Israel Story, which is often referred to as the Israeli This American Life. It's intelligent, interesting and beautifully produced and you should absolutely subscribe as evidence i submit this first story an excerpt from israel stories love episode from february of last year take it away mishi at the end of every month a little yellow post-it is left on my door in the top right corner is the never absent bet hey or baruch hashem and around the edges are usually some doodles of flowers or leaves or something Then in the middle of the post-it, in super neat letters, it says, Hey Mishi, it's bill time again. Stop by to sort it out. The girls from downstairs. So yeah, even though they're all very much women, as you'll hear in a sec, 
To me, they're always collectively the girls from downstairs. This is their love story. It's been six dates. I'm the only non-Orthodox person who lives on my street. And when I moved into this apartment a few years ago, I had just come back from seven years abroad. And my mom was all excited that here, finally, I was coming back to Israel and I was going to find a nice Jewish girl. And it just so happened that in the apartment beneath me, in my apartment building, there were three Orthodox girls living there. And they were all in their mid to late 30s, single, and intensely looking for a match. So as you can imagine, matchmaking was the sole topic of conversation in their apartment, in my apartment, in the staircase. And the Orthodox dating scene in Nachlaot in Jerusalem is highly hierarchical. And unfortunately for my neighbors, who are really, really sweet girls and really attractive and pretty girls also, they were at the bottom of the pecking order because they were A, considered old, B, they had not grown up Orthodox, and C, they were, I hope they don't mind me saying this, presumably not virgins. As a result, even though they were really great girls, I really, really liked them, they would constantly be set up with all kinds of, you know, 60-year-old widowers, people with weird addictions, people with 11 kids, all kinds of really great catches. And what they would do is they would go to a matchmaker, a shadchanit, which is sort of like the analog version of OkCupid. And they would sit there with the shadchanit and tell them all kinds of things about themselves and what they were looking for. And the shadchanit would have lists and lists and lists of guys. And she'd be like, hey, how about Itzchak? And then they would go out on these first dates with these guys. They were religious enough that they didn't want to be seen in public on these first dates. But also, on the other hand, they didn't want to be just in their room, obviously. So most of these first dates took place on our staircase. And I have a window that looks out right at the staircase. So I would be sitting in bed watching marathons and marathons of the West Wing. And I would hear through the window snippets of these first dates. And these first dates were like first dates from hell. If I ever went on a first date like this, I would never in a million years think of going on another second date. There was no chit-chat, no small talk whatsoever. They would be sitting on different landings and they would get down to business immediately. It would be like, okay, so what is the kitchen going to look like? What kind of kashot regulations are we going to follow? What's the Shabbat table going to look like? And meanwhile, on my computer, Jed Bartlett's kind of pounding on the podium and delivering these phenomenally eloquent liberal speeches. There's evil in the world. There'll always be, and we can't do anything about it. And I hear from outside, okay, so are you going to shave your head and wear a wig, or are you going to wear a regular head covering? And then usually the next morning, I would bump into one of the girls on the staircase and we would have sort of a postmortem of the date. And just the way I realized that these dates sucked, so did they. So nothing really materialized from any of these dates. Now, one of the three neighbors was a girl called Meital. That's actually not her name, but it is for this story. And Mital was 39 years old, and she had grown up completely secular in Tel Aviv. She had lived with a boyfriend for seven years, and they broke up when she was 29. And I guess that's when she became religious. Mital was 
very harsh in her religiosity. So like I have a dog, Nomi, and Nomi would run into their apartment all the time and jump on Meital's bed and Meital would love Nomi and play with her all the time. And I kept on saying, Meital, you should get a dog. You love dogs so much. And she would say, oh no, religious people don't have dogs, which isn't even true. But that's sort of her perception of religiosity. Or she would constantly say, oh, I'm not looking for romance. I'm just looking for something very practical for, for a partner. Anyway, Meital would go on these first dates from hell as well on the, on the staircase. And one day, she was matched by the matchmaker with a guy called Dan. Now, let me just describe Dan a second. Imagine a Jewish Taliban warrior with a beard till his belly button, really, really long peot, side locks. And to cap it all off, Dan is a sheep herder from Batayn, which is one of the more extreme settlements near Hebron. I saw Dan at the very beginning of the date, and I liked him immediately. Nomi, my dog, loved him because he smelled like sheep, so she was all on top of him. And I went up to my apartment and was on their first date. And their first date, like many of the other dates, was horrible. But for some reason, Meital decided that she was going to continue on with Dan. And they went out on maybe five or six dates, and I would say I was on maybe three or four of them. I should just say that the dates didn't get much better. They just clarified in great detail exactly what they thought the house would look like and how they would run it. So about three weeks later, I bumped into Meital on the staircase. And Meital said, Mishi, you know, I've gone out with Dan six times already. I really need to decide whether I want to marry him. I was like, Meital, that's completely crazy. Why don't you, I don't know, like maybe sleep with him beforehand? Of course, Meital did not appreciate my suggestion. And instead of taking what I thought was good advice, she decided that she was going to travel to Uman in the Ukraine and she was going to pray at Rabbi Nachman's tomb and get some enlightenment as to whether she should marry Dan or not. So that did not seem to me to be the best way to go about this, but she was quite convinced. So she came up to my apartment. She said that she was going to pray for me too, that I should also find a nice girl. And off she was to the Ukraine. She was there for a week. She prayed, 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 prayed every single day over Rabbi Nachman's tomb. And she finally decided she came back to Israel. She called up Dan and she told him that they were breaking up. So, okay, I was quite upset. I had liked Dan a lot, but now Dan was out of the picture. Meital continued going out on these first dates from hell, and nothing happened, nothing materialized. And then she was about to turn 40, and she became really anxious about this birthday and about the fact that she was still not married. So she went to see a rabbi whose specialty is name combinations. You tell him, Isaac... And Sarah, and he's like, yes, that's a good combination, or no, that's a horrible combination. So she goes into the rabbi, and this sounds a little bit like a joke, but she says, like, rabbi, rabbi, why can't I find a husband? And he says, well, have you gone out with anyone recently? And she said, yeah, well, I went out with this sheep herder, Dan. And he's like, Dan? And she says, yeah, Dan. And then the rabbi looks at her and he says, 
Dan and Metal is the best name combination that I can imagine. And she's like, no, 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 Rabbi, don't tell me this. And, and the rabbi's like, yeah, I'm telling you, Dan and Meital, it's like a match made in heaven. So Meital, instead of just saying that this guy's a total charlatan and storming out of his office, calls up Dan on the phone, tells him to get over there. Dan comes to the office, the rabbi tells him the same thing, and two weeks later, they got married. I tried to convince Dan to move into the apartment with the girls. I told him that it was a very European thing to do. They did not seem to think that this was such a good idea and moved to Batayn. And even though I really tried for a while, it's hard to keep in touch with her. She seems to want to leave her bachelorette days behind her. So I don't really know what's going on with her in her life. But I imagine her on a Friday afternoon, sitting by a natural spring in the Judean hills near Hebron, breastfeeding her newborn baby... Dan is running around after all of the sheep and some of their older kids are picking figs from the tree. Unfortunately for me, Meital's prayers in Uman didn't really help, at least yet. I'm still in the apartment though, and who knows, maybe the magic of the staircase will strike again. I am a honeybee, shun up from the colony, and they won't let Separately, they're Rabbi David Kasher and comedian Moshe Kasher. Together, on the kibbutz, these two brothers will debate the Jewish notions of love. This is Kasher versus Kasher. We're going to talk about the sort of Jewish notion of love, like is love... Is, is kind of true love and the romantic ideal of love that probably we have as, as children of rom-coms. And, uh, is, is that important in the, the sort of the Torah or is marriage really just kind of an agreement so that we make babies and we make more Jews and like what is – well, look, I mean, there's definitely love in Jewish tradition. There's definitely, like, the biblical figures are spo- spoken of as having loved one. Isaac loved his wife, and Jacob loved Rachel. I mean, there, there's, like, there's language in there that Isaac supports is the, the he's the bartender from the love book. Right. <laughs> so it's, like, perfect. <laughs> it goes all the way back. Um, but I don't know about falling in love. Falling in love might not be a Jewish I mean, that is maybe a modern notion altogether, the idea that you fall in love and are in love. But definitely the notion that you should love your partner and it's more than just a, a practical, functional relationship. That, that's in Jewish tradition. That's, that's a part of, of Jewish life and literature. That's pretty interesting that, like, because usually the messaging I feel like we get in a modernist perspective is, like, the, the idea of romantic love is a construction, the, mm-hmm. a modern construction. But you're actually saying something different, which is that the idea of uh, of love is old school. It's just that they thought differently of what it meant to be in love. Yeah, I think that's right. I didn't. I don't think that they speak of it, and I say they. I'm just like, if you look at Jew- the Torah, the Talmud, I don't think they speak of it as this constant condition of rapture, but there's definitely some notion that you're emotionally bonded to your partner and that you, you, you pick your partner because you love your partner and maybe even that you're meant for your partner on some level. Right, that's the whole beshert thing, right? Right, so beshert is a Yiddish word, so it's, it's later, but it means 
destiny. It means the one that you're destined for. But there are sources, like in the Talmud, there's this great source that says 40 years before children are created, some voice goes out in heaven and says, this one with this one. So like there's some idea that you actually have somebody that you're destined to be with. And that's very romantic. There's lots of romance in Jewish tradition. But this idea that you're now in love and you feel a certain way enduringly throughout your relationship, I don't think that's that's it's not rom-com love that's right. that's beshert that's the hebrew word is beshert beshert yeah and then the hebrew but he word it's, that's it's yiddish. yiddish oh yiddish. yeah, yeah I the, it was yiddish, yiddish, yeah. the yiddish word uh sherbert is a yiddish word meaning uh, a refreshing <laughs> like ice cream like it's like yeah. an ice cream but it's not it's quite like a heavy. creamy yeah it's less what creamy is sher- sherbert is less creamy than than ice cream yeah. more creamy than sorbet, sorbet. but look and, but look i think i don't change you don't want to in the middle of what about what about sorbet sorbet is different in the middle of something important no look but i think the bigger question is whether rom-com love is real at all yeah, like that's you don't have to ha- put that in a Jewish context to 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 draw some contrast. It's just like, do our lives actually give evidence to the notion that we'll just stay, be be in love and stay in love forever? I mean, yeah, I've always felt that the Bible. I'm not a big Bible guy, but I've always felt like the Bible actually belies the concept that love is a modern invention because it's it's pretty obvious in the Bible. The story of is it is it Jacob, the one that worked for seven years? Yeah, yeah. It, that story is just very obviously like about a guy that's in love with someone. I mean, it says it explicitly. Jacob loved Rachel, and so he worked for seven years to be with her. So, yeah, this, yeah, this whole mm-hmm. idea like, oh, no, 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 no. Until like 40 years ago, until basically 1981, <laughs> um, marriage was always about a business transaction. It was always about sexism. It's like, that's not quite true. You and know? It's, uh, there's not just, it's not just little like snippets here and there. There's a whole book of the Hebrew Bible, the Song of Songs, which is basically just an extended love like almost erotic love poem right and so there's this real like now a lot of people have said that that's a metaphor for the love that people have with god and but but whether you look at it that way or not that means there's some notion of love of being in a loving right. relationship and it's, and you're, it's and, pleasing to god if you're in a loving relationship yeah, yeah the yeah. funny thing about the song of songs though is that 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 very reality like it, it creates this kind of self-conscious sort of uh angst among or some Orthodox rabbis, because it's so explicit, the Song of Songs, that they're like, mm, I don't understand why this is in the canon exactly, because it feels a little <laughs> Who allowed porn- this? pornographic. And uh-huh. so then they do this thing where they're like, the 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 art scroll translation, but it's like, mm, that's not really a translation, really. That's really a very creative sort of rejiggering of it. Uh-huh. So it's just like, I love the Torah so much, and I love the laws of Moses erotically, and it's like it, they're terrible translations, right? Yeah, I mean, it, they're based on very interesting sort of symbolic interpretations of. But it, you know, it'll say things like your breasts are like two fawns, and then and Rashi, like the, the great commentator, will say, "Oh, the breasts—that's the the two fawns the are Moses the- and Aaron, all right? The <laughs> yeah. two tablets. Uh-huh. It's like yeah, but and then, the tablets but, are rounded. At but, the top, but, so. but at least like Rashi's <laughs> still reading the Hebrew and going like, this is what it means. But when then when you get like far enough away from it, when it's in English, yeah. So somebody's read the Rashi, Just read the totally white. Yeah, then it becomes the breasts are gone. It's like the two tablets of Moses are like. Like fawns. Uh, move on. Next chapter. <laughs> very well, you know, there's a discussion in the Talmud about whether the Song of Songs should be in the Bible at all. Like they were deciding wh- what they t- to do and how to compile it. And there's the majority was like, this is too crazy. This is too risque. And Rabbi Akiva, one of the great sages of the Talmud, is like, no, this is actually the holiest of all the books, mm. which is powerful. I mean, it means on the one hand that he thought it was saying something religiously, but it also means that 
he was saying love is holy and and expressions of love and and even even erotic love is is sanctified it has like a sacred place in the tradition there is a there is a a Hasidic story about like basically somebody coming up to one of the rabbis, maybe it was Baal Shem Tov, or it was some one of these like old school Hasidic rabbis, and was like trying to basically show off his piety by being like, "I'm so into Torah, I don't even, I hate sex. I, I just think of it as only a duty to fulfill the Torah commandment. I don't even, I try not to enjoy it." And the rabbi basically admonishing him and being like, "No, that's not what it's about either. You're supposed to enjoy it it's yeah. because God made." it it's a beautiful sort of experiential thing the other thing i was going to say was i think like uh, orthodox judaism and old school judaism has a lot of problems when it comes to uh, uh, egalitarianism and women so i'm not going to pretend like no it doesn't it doesn't have any of those what are you, <laughs> yeah. talking, about? What are you talking about but Stop, guys. but i've always thought that basically the idea in is which biblical is it also jacob the biblical story where the woman basically says she wants to marry they ask her if she Rebecca, wants Rebecca 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 yeah. and that actually in reality is a proof text that has borne out in Orthodox Judaism probably there's been some sort of questionable uh, agency given to women about it but you do have to ask women if they're willing to marry the man now am I going to say that no yeah. woman's ever been asked and been like also cajoled into saying yes obviously right. I'm sure that's happened but then they but can't get a, out of it but it's a powerful thing it's right. a powerful thing well, uh, right there are problems <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying there are but yeah. it is a powerful thing that in, in this ancient ancient like sort of you know we slaughter cows for god religion yeah. there still was this notion of no you have Nothing to ask wrong with a that. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that you still this notion you have to ask a woman if she i know that this is paltry sort of in terms of what we can't currently think of as like feminism or agency but at least you had that notion like no the woman has to want to marry her partner she has look, to yeah. feel look, that here's the thing i mean most talking about the tension between some of the more repressive or or sort of open and and spec ends of judaism but the fact is is judaism is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, continuous religious traditions in the world. So we've collected all kinds of things, and we have everything's kind of in there. You know, we have voices in the Jewish tradition which are very repressive and and kind of strict around love and sexuality. But we also very much have these voices that are very celebratory and very, you know, you, there's was a book, uh, who's the guy with kosher sex? Uh, oh, Shmuley I Botea. Oh, right. Yeah. Right, like he basically has compiled all the like, hooray for sex and Judaism sources. And there are other sources. You can find things in Judaism that are, that are not in line with our modern perspectives around love and sexuality. But the fact is, there's, there's a book's worth of, of material that, that he could put together to <laughs> say that we, we, we cultivate love and we celebrate sexuality and from the very start, right, there's this notion that Adam and Eve are together to be companions to one another, not just to be fruitful and multiply, yeah. and but not to be Steve. intimate. Not Steve. Not, uh, yeah. <laughs> there was no Steve in that story. They're not wrong. But I will also say, anecdotally, I was a researcher. Wait, can I say yeah. something there, actually? Because uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, obviously, there's, you know, we're having all these conversations in our society about, you know, sexuality and gender. and But, you know, there's, a, there's an interesting piece in the Mishnah in Judaism's rabbinic text that says, you know, what is the highest form of love, what is what is the most uh, exalted love? And they say the love which is like completely unconditional is the love between Jonathan and David. So David is the famous King David and Jonathan was the son of the previous king. And so they should have been rivals, but instead they loved each other. Now, 
I don't know exactly what to make of that and whether there's any sort of like I know what to there. make of it and I'll tell you what to make of it. You reject that Mishnah or whatever it is that you said and you get back to Bible fundamentals. I just so I just want to throw that out there that like even our our notions of what religious versions of sexuality and identity and gender are like it's it's all more complex, you know, once we start to look at the stories and the and the actual records of how people talked about love in the past. I mean, they could have been talking about friendship, but still, like they were talking about right. deep love between right. men. Yeah, and again, like even uh, if you even in the narrative of the Torah itself, you go all the way back to the to the creation story. God starts by saying, adam levado." It's not good for a person to be alone. Hmm. That's like hmm. fundamental statement of what it is to be to love somebody is yeah. to be relieved of loneliness. Is to be it's relieved of your sort of isolation and existential apartness. Nobody really believes in when Harry met Sally, love forever. I mean, maybe some people do, but really what's there is like, do I care for this person and want them to be happy? Uh, and I definitely Yeah, feel I like- used to hear a lot in my yeshiva, like when I studied in yeshiva, and I went to a very kind of the traditional right-wing kind of place. But when they would talk about love, they would say that the root of the word love in Hebrew is similar to the root of, of a word for giving. And hmm. that that's, that's the essence of love, is not how you feel, but the act of giving to someone, someone else. Feel, right? and, what, and, and your experience of love is the experience of that, that devotedness and that giving. And that's, that's a powerful way to, 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 to frame the concept of love. And I was able to give that kind of love to literally hundreds <laughs> of women. I'm, I'm a married man now. It all worked out. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for dropping by. Thank you. We, we, we love you, Dan. We and love uh, you. this was great. This really was fun. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. All right. My Nana is 95 years old and remembers more jokes than I do. Here's one of her favorites about marriage. This older couple were having brunch and sitting together on their patio. And the man said, you know, honey, I know, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you and I'll probably be gone before you are. And I'm sure you'll you'll remarry, and I just don't want some asshole getting all any of my my golf clubs, my tennis racket, and all my clothes. She said, "Oh, honey, what makes you think I'd marry another asshole?" <laughs> 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 I love that one. I asked my nana how her grandparents met and ended up in Scotland. Originally, she was born in Poland, and they made marriages in those days. Some rabbi, I think my grandfather's father was a rabbi. He was supposed to marry one of her sisters. She had two sisters, but he didn't like, he liked my grandmother better, so he took her, and they went to Scotland, and that's where he had other relatives in uh, Glasgow. Her grandfather died in Glasgow, leaving her grandmother alone with seven kids. So she took those kids to New Jersey, of course, and that's where one of her daughters, my Nana's mother, had to go to work at a very young age. So my mother had to go to work, and she went to work in a factory where they made thread or some spools of thread. Or anyway, it was cold and damp and and miserable and she got tuberculosis anyway denver 
had this most famous place in Denver for people with tuberculosis. This Dr. Spivak, he collapsed one of her lungs and it saved her. And uh, so one night at, uh, at this, it was like a sanitarium, this, um, they had a play and my mother was in the play and she took the part of a boy and it was like a little operetta. And my father had come to Denver and he saw her in the play. And after it was over, he went backstage and he really liked her. And that was in April and in August, they were married. You know, and he was 10 years older than my mother. He was just mad for her. Mm-hmm. You better go or you'll miss Downton Abbey. <laughs> Larry Smith is the creator of Smith Magazine and the Six Word Memoir Project, a best-selling series of books and a website that asks people to distill their stories down to six words. He shared some of his favorites from Six Word Memoirs on Jewish Life and his new book, The Best Advice in Six Words, Writers Famous and Obscure on Love, Sex, Money, Friendship, Family, Work, and much more. This episode is about kind of love and dating and relationships. And so I, I picked out a few that I like, but let me, I want to see if you, maybe ours meet up, but uh, some of the ones from the from the Jewish or, or other, like the new book yeah. um, about dating and maybe advice on dating, stuff yeah. like that. Well, I was thinking um, from the Jewish book, a couple I picked out were best part of Judaism, men, she, men. Nice. Amy Schumer's six words in Jewish life is at least you know he's circumcised. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know. We didn't even put her name on the back cover back then. She was this up and comer, yeah, right? That's amazing. Um, but believe me, she's on the back cover in the reprint. I'm sure she is. <laughs> yeah, she should be. It's a good sex. Yeah. Let's see. Found Jewish princess, goodbye, succulent pork. That's by <laughs> Leah Damsky. So assuming they're both women, yeah. it's like there's so many things happening in there. Like, yeah. was she not a lesbian? No, she, like, it was just, it's a no. great, and I bet you you picked this one out too, which is uh, perpetually joining J-Date, perpetually canceling J-Date. Yep, Someone told me that's their whole business model. People just <laughs> sign up and go away and come back, you know. What are some of the ones you liked? I had uh, no booby, I'm not married yet. Uh, married Christian, Gadar works, Judar broken. <laughs> mm. And uh, Thought Yiddish, Married British, Oi Oi. Oh, that's by Rachel Pine. I remember yeah. that one. It was a really um, fun one. Let me find this. Oh, yeah. Here we go. By Adam Pollock. You're gay? Lakayam. He's goyish. Shonda. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's so, you know, Jewish parents are a strange and complex thing, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So let me hear some of the advice ones, too. So uh, in the advice book, uh, it's a thousand and one piece of advice in this new book, and it's really fun. I mean, it's the, a lot of the books, the love book, the life book, there's, there's a lot of heartbreak because that is life and love and things. But the advice most of it's kind of positive. So it's a funny way. It's like a, one of the most fun books. Um, so here's some advice. Start off your day with sex. Great that, advice. That's good. Intercourse is easy. Discourse is hard. <laughs> Great. Wait, sociopaths make poor bosses and spouses. 
And I think we know the first part about the bosses, but yeah. like, oh, I love the crazy ones. You know, you yeah. got to be careful with that. Let's see, another one which is uh, I aspire to, which is secret to happy marriage, separate bathrooms. That's My dad has said that. Right? Oh, yeah, that's like the only advice he's really ever given no, me. No, and by the way, like, hey, those, that advice we get from our parents, our grandparents, you know, that is the stuff to really listen to closely. Yeah, you know, it's true. It's true. Um, well, this has been great. I think this is a perfect, the perfect uh, little uh, story for our I love episode. Where can we find the book? I mean, where should we uh, find you? The, this, the new best advice book should be in all the bookstores around. The indie bookstores love us. Barnes & Noble, obviously Amazon. Uh, the Six, six Four Memoirs on Jewish Life it isn't really in bookstores because I did self-publish it. So uh, they can find it at sixfourmemoirs.com and hit our store. You can buy it through there. And I always say, if, if you want to bun- buy a bunch, we do, you know, we do a bulk order discount. So um, not too it's hard to find. very Jewish of you. It is, you know, you know, such a deal. <laughs> you want to buy a bunch, we'll uh, give you five Such a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Okay. And now one half of the comedic duo of Rana and Beverly, Rana, asks for advice about love. Um, All right. Let's give Renee a call here. Maybe she'll be by her phone. Don't walk away, Renee. I'm going to sing that to her. I'm sure she gets that all the time. I bet she'd enjoy it. Yeah. Hello. Oh, hi. We're looking for Renee. This is, this is Renee. Oh, I, we thought you were a lady. <laughs> Sorry about that. How are you, Renee, darling? Is everything going well for you? Yes, everything's going well, and I am so excited to talk to... Both of you, of course, but especially Rana. Well, I'm I'm sorry that Beverly's not with us. Beverly is, te- if you can believe this, is teaching English as a second language in Israel. So there's going to be an army of Russians speaking English the way Beverly does. Now, Renee, I have some. Uh, Dan and I are sitting here talking about love. It's Valentine's Day. Okay. Ish. And I had a question for you. There is a gentleman who I occasionally see who lives in Cleveland, Ohio. He lives in Shaker Heights. And he's a big yeah. ma- he's a big macher in the movie in the movie business. He makes all of the he's a textiles guy and he makes all of the fabric for all of the movie seats. Okay. So that's one of those businesses yeah. that sounds like it's not much, but then you think about how many movie theaters there are in the world and all of a sudden the numbers the, it's like carpeting the entire world, okay? In any event. I got it. I like him. I enjoyed the time that we spend together. He's a nice guy, but he's really crazy about me. And I don't know whether I really have the room or the inclination to make room for him in my life. And I'm not sure whether I should keep the boundary where it is or whether I should be open to letting him in. What do you think, Renee? But can I ask, is he, is he Jewish? Oh. <laughs> no, he's, he's not. not Jewish. No, of course he's of Jewish. Course, of course, no. I, met, I okay. met him through well, Elaine. I met him through Elaine. They're on a board together. Okay. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Mexican-American who was raised Southern Baptist, but is now an atheist. But anyway. <laughs> well, that's quite a anyway. journey, Renee. Quite a journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rana, my first inclination is to say make make room for him if that's I mean you said you really like him so I didn't say if, really uh, I feel like if if you really like him and you're wanting to make some room for him in your heart maybe you could make room for him even in New York once a month well I'm a little worried that I won't have enough time for Jordan 
You understand? I mean, I, this. I guess the question Jordan's is: Jordan's got there, his own girlfriend can now. There Maybe be, you guys should double date. Can there be two men in my life? I guess. Yeah. Oh, Jordan. Oh, that's true. Jordan does seem to be preoccupied. Yeah. Maybe I'm just having trouble letting <laughs> letting go. What do you think? So, yeah, I don't know. I, why not just uh, think of it as a give it a try for a trial run? And you know, oh, that's going a good into idea. it doesn't have to. I don't think have to of it as something permanent. Just uh, yeah. try it out. See how it goes. All right. Well, maybe I'll at least maybe I'll tell him I can have dinner with him on a Friday, but that I have to do my Saturday with Jordan and do my shopping. Yeah, with divide him. it maybe up. I'll divide, divide the time. It up. Yeah. It's all. I think it's always good sure. to keep them keep them on their toes. Yeah. You don't want to give them too much time, <laughs> then they get lazy. That's very true. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful advice. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, I have another question for you, Renee. Have people often sung the song, Don't Walk Away, Renee, (laughs) to you? Does that happen to you all the time? No, not all the time. It's only it's only happened a few times. Oh, okay. Well, there's so count Here's another one. <laughs> there's another one. Add it to the add it to the there's list. One more. Yeah. yeah, and you have it in podcast heaven. Yeah, thank it's God. It's living on the internet now. Yeah. Um, Renee, thank you so much for listening, and you should listen to this wonderful Kibitz okay. podcast. It's terrific. You don't have to be Jewish to enjoy. I've it. been listening. Oh wow! Oh, oh good. I've been listening. I I I love it, and I I wanted to say, Dan, I love Nana. Oh, I love oh, hearing her wonderful. laugh at the, at the funeral joke. Yeah. Uh, that was that made my day. Hearing her laugh at oh, her good. joke. What yeah. was the What was her Jesus joke? Was so funny the, uh, about the name of the Catholic school. Oh, uh, our our uh, the 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 Jewish. Oh, our Lady of Perpetual Guilt. Nice. Yeah. Wow, Renee. Was well very done. Funny. You have been listening. She's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much. Keep on listening. All right. Bye, Spread Renee. Thank you, darling. Right. Well, bye. Kiss, kiss. Happy Valentine's bye. Day. Kiss, kiss. Okay, it turns out I was a little off on those lyrics. It's just walk away, Renee, not don't walk away. Oh, well, Renee didn't seem to mind. Joel Stein writes for Time Magazine and many other places and is the author of Man Made, A Stupid Quest for Masculinity. This is his bar mitzvah story for A Kid Walks Into a Bar. My bar mitzvah, I remember I wrote, you had to write a speech. I was yeah. bar mitzvah with Marnie Juman. We each got. There was, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't sound Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> her brother was Jewy Juman. Her brother's, what was her brother's name? Her brother was a successful lawyer. He had an even crazier last name. Uh, I mean, first name. He was so Jewish. So Marnie Juman, who was Jewish, was, we shared a bar mitzvah. And Marnie was awesome. I didn't really know her. I think, I think she's very, very pretty. Um, and very nice. And I got to know her a little bit my senior of high school, but um, she wasn't as academic as I was. So um, the academic parts of the bar mitzvah were a little weighted in my favor. Uh-huh. And I made a very long speech. I mean, inappropriately long speech. Um, <laughs> was there, were there jokes? Was it, or is it pretty dry? I, I think it was somewhat dry. There were some jokes, but it was, it was a very serious take on whatever the Haftorah was about. Uh-huh. I'm sure I could take it up, but it, it People could not believe a 13-year-old could talk that long. <laughs> and did you memorize the whole thing? Or the you speech I mostly it? read. Okay. I memorized my Haftorah. Yeah. Did you sing it? Nice. I screwed up a little bit. That's pretty good. Yeah. No, I did. I memorized it, but then you have that little special gold little hand. Pointer. Yeah. 
That's a creepy thing. Yeah. And you follow along in the yeah. in the parchment, which is, but you, you know, they bought at like the Jewish Costco, <laughs> yeah, but they like view the it with all this importance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where did they get that thing? That wasn't like written by monks somewhere no, by no. hand. Yeah. But you had to treat it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I used the pointer. But I did, yeah, it's no, I totally had it memorized. Of course I had it memorized because that didn't, I couldn't read. Yeah, you can't read that much Hebrew. And it's Hebrew without the vowels, so I had no chance on that. Oh, yeah. Was it good? Was it bad? Would you do it differently? Well, I really wanted to quit Hebrew school very, very badly. And I'm inherently conservative. Like, I'm afraid of messing up my life in any way. And I remember them being very specific and saying, you can never go back and do this. Like, if you don't get bar mitzvah now, this is your only chance. And I remember my grandparents really wanted me to get bar mitzvah. So I did it. And we had a party at the temple afterwards. And my sister had, you know, who's seven and a half years younger than me, had a way bigger party at some fancy place where it said Lisa on Broadway and Mylar. And there was someone airbrushing your, you know, picture on a T-shirt. And I'm sure there were trapeze artists and stuff. Uh, so mine was a little simpler, although we did have uh, food from many lands, little stations of food. I remember specifically asking my parents, will this count towards my college application? Will this be on my record? Well, right. then they were like, no, this doesn't go to college. I'm like, are you certain? The yeah. colleges will never know about what I do here. They're like, no, this isn't for college. And like, at that point, I was just in the principal's office all the time. <laughs> never did any work. I was like, this is a place where I can do whatever I want. Yeah. yeah. It's a free-for-all. It doesn't count. It's like an alternate life. Did you keep going after? Oh, no. Oh, no. my sister yeah. did. Yeah. Which is shocking. She's not much of a student. She's not religious. No, the moment I got my bar mitzvah, I said goodbye to, although I said goodbye to um, my rabbi, although he married us because Cassandra was looking for a rabbi and I didn't know any. So I called this guy who didn't remember me or anything. And he, uh, he stole around and married us. In addition to being a brilliant actor, Jeff Goldblum tickles some mean ivories. He plays jazz with his stellar band most Wednesday nights in Los Angeles at Rockwood Bar in Los Feliz. Between songs, he banters with the audience. Here's an excerpt recorded live at a recent show. Yeah, it's Ash Wednesday today, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have food? Yeah. <laughs> we have an equivalent to Ash Wednesday. Uh, do we have an equivalent? I don't believe so. There's not an equivalent. Um, it's what? Tishabah, yes. Or Shavuos, I believe, is like your Ash Wednesday. So, sukkah. I love, I love to stay in the sukkah. Interesting. Why would you do this just for as a test? You're welcome. Thank you so much. Just keep you on your toes. You know, that's okay. what I do. I just. You sure do. You didn't want to do it in B flat or C. I did. You really like your.
right, that's it for episode three of The Kibitz. If you liked it, show us your love on iTunes. I'd like to thank our good friend Mishy Harmon and Israel Story for letting us excerpt their podcast, and our guests David and Moshe Kasher, my Nana, Jeff Goldblum, Larry Smith, Ronna Glickman, and Joel Stein. Also, thanks to my fiance Jessica for reading from the Song of Songs. This episode was produced by me, Dan Crane, with help from Adam Sachs, Sarah DeLeo, and David Jargowski. Engineering was by Brett Morris. Special thanks to Amelia Klein, Robin Kramer, Earwolf, and of course, Reboot. Our main theme music is courtesy of Nunon Plus. Please like us on the Facebooks, follow us on the Twitters at KibitzPod, and email us your comments at kibitzpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. As my great-grandmother used to say, that's the way it is in a small town with a large population. Happy Valentine's Day from the Kibitz. <laughs>